Don't play with things that go boom. Lessons from my days in olive drab by Clint Morey, specialist fourth class, retired. Well, not actually retired. It's more like I didn't re-up. Episode 2. Bell-bottoms? You can't be serious. Once upon a time, long, long ago in a faraway land, there was this thing that everyone dreaded. It was called the draft. Okay, maybe that's a little overdramatic, but many people today don't realize the draft was something all young men of my era faced. When you turned 18, your name was put in the hopper, and you became eligible to be called up for military service. And you remained eligible until you reached the age of 25. It didn't matter if you wanted to serve. It didn't matter if you had other plans for your life. You know, things like marriage, career, family. It didn't matter if you were famous. They got Elvis in 1958, and they tried to get Muhammad Ali in 1967. If your name came up, you were drafted, period. Unless... And this is where things got interesting, because there were some things that you could do to put off being drafted. Now, before I share some of those little things, let me give you a history lesson. After the ceasefire in the Korean War, being drafted meant you would probably be going into the peacetime military. It was, for those unfortunate enough to be drafted, a major inconvenience to their life plans. But in 1964, that all changed. After the Gulf of Tonkin incident, the United States committed to sending hundreds of thousands of people into the tiny country of South Vietnam to fight communism. Our government leaders hoped the action would quickly stabilize the South Vietnamese government from the communist assault. Well, that's not quite the way things worked out. Over the course of our involvement in Vietnam, Almost three million people would serve in that country. Now, when the war began, most people in America would have had trouble finding Vietnam on a map. But as the war went on, year after year, everyone in the country became aware of what was happening there. TV news cameras recorded actual firefights. We saw bombs exploding, villages being decimated, and soldiers being wounded and killed. War is not pretty. And this was the first war that Americans could watch on a daily basis from their living rooms. And as the casualties mounted and the numbers of troops increased, the draft became the primary method for filling the ranks of the troops being sent to Vietnam. And that meant the draft was no longer just an inconvenience to your plans. The draft now meant you might be sent to a war on the other side of the planet and you might become one of those casualties you saw on TV. Now, by the time I graduated from high school in 1966, the goal of many people my age was quite simply to avoid being drafted. Now, I mentioned in the previous episode that in my junior year of high school, I became a Christian. Well, I knew that I would have to deal with the question, should a Christian serve in the military? Uh, you wouldn't believe some of the advice I heard or read. To put it mildly, it was terrible. 
but I wanted to know what God would have me do, and it seemed like everyone I was listening to had their own agenda. Uh, serve because or don't serve because. Fortunately, I had a youth pastor at my church who taught me that God's word, the Bible, was the Christian standard for life, and so I read the Bible and sought to learn if God opposed military service. Well, I couldn't find any teaching of that being the case, so I focused my study on should I serve if drafted to be part of the military in Vietnam? Now, in the book of James, the Bible says, if any of you lack wisdom, you should pray to God who will give it to you because God gives generously and graciously to all. That's in James 1.5. Well, I definitely needed wisdom, so I began to pray. Okay, now back to the draft. I mentioned earlier it was possible to avoid being drafted, and people my age soon learned all kinds of ways to do that. There were actually quite a few ways, but the key ones that most people used were, uh, one was the medical deferment. You could get out of the draft if there were some physical issues that would prevent you from serving in the military. Now, my dad had been 4F during World War II because he had flat feet. Even though he was a high school and uh, I think it was a community college track athlete, the flat feet kept him out of the draft in World War II. During the Vietnam War era, I heard stories of people who intentionally damaged their bodies in order to receive a medical deferment. Now, I may not have been a great athlete like my dad. Okay, I was not a great athlete by anyone's standard, but I was in decent physical shape. And I definitely was not into shooting a body part or intentionally damaging myself. So the medical deferment thing was not an option for me. The other big option was this thing called Canada. Now, Canada didn't have a draft, so if you moved to Canada, they wouldn't <laughs> send you back to the U.S. because it wasn't a crime in Canada to not be drafted. Um, of course, you couldn't return to the U.S. because then you would be breaking the law, but you didn't have to go to Vietnam. It seemed to me, however, that the Canada option was primarily for those who were running away and didn't want to get hurt. The fact is, I liked being an American, and I had no intention of going to another country and giving up my citizenship. So, Canada was out. Then, and this is a strange one today, there was the National Guard. Uh, <laughs> unlike recent history, when joining the National Guard meant there was a good chance you could be sent to the conflicts in the Middle East, Back in my era, joining the National Guard usually meant that you would not be sent to Vietnam. Oh, sure, you had to make a six-year commitment, and you had to go to weekend meetings once a month, and you had to do a two-week training session each year, but you would not be going to Vietnam. Needless to say, the National Guard became a very popular destination for many people, and that created a problem of its own. It was so popular there were waiting lists to get in. Now, I did apply to my local National Guard unit, uh, but there was a three-year waiting list, so it didn't seem to be a viable choice for my avoiding the draft. And then something happened. For some reason, they actually activated a number of units in my area and sent them to Vietnam. That had to be a bummer for those who joined the Guard to get out of the war. But it was a benefit to those of us on the waiting list. And I received a phone call and told 
me that all I had to do was take the physical, and if I passed, I could become part of the guard. I took the physical, I was notified that I passed, and as I thought about it, um, I didn't want to become a weekend warrior just to avoid being sent to Vietnam. So I told them no. Now I told my friends and myself that I was just not impressed with their professionalism while I was going through their medics and other things. Uh, in fact, they did do a lousy job of drawing blood from me. And if the rest of the guard was like that, I didn't want any part of it. But the fact is, I just did not want to go into the National Guard. And then there was, and this was the most common way to get out of the draft, it was called the student deferment, a 2S. Now, if you went to college, you could get that 2S deferment, and you could keep it for up to four years as long as you kept your grades up. And then when the four years were up, you went back into the pool of potential draftees. The hope, obviously, was that the war would be over by the time you finished your four-year college degree. Well, after a little confusion about what I was going to do and where I was going, I finally ended up in a Christian college, and when I applied for my deferment, I got something called a 4D deferment. Now, I'd never heard of a 4D deferment. I didn't know what it was, but apparently it was something they called a ministerial deferment. Well, since I was going to a Christian college and studying to work in the church, uh, that was the deferment I got. At the time, I thought it was pretty cool, but most of my friends had 2S deferments, and surely something that started with a 4 was better than a 2, so I guess my 4D was better than their 2S, but when we got together, uh, I just felt a little awkward trying to explain to them what a 4D was. Because believe me, no one had any idea what that was. Um, it didn't take me many explanations to realize. It certainly didn't sound fair. Just because I was going to a Bible school, I should get a special deferment? Even I didn't think that was a fair thing to be doing. So I wrote the draft board and asked them to take away my 4D deferment and give me a 2S deferment. And I thought that would be great because everybody had that. Everybody? Well... Not exactly. A number of my friends didn't go to college. It was not in their interest. It was not in their life goals. They went right into the workforce. And that made most of them a 1A, prime targets for the draft. As I thought about my situation, I didn't like the feeling that just because I was going to college, and I enjoyed school, that I should get a deferment from the draft while my friends who weren't going to college had to be concerned if they were going to be drafted and sent to Vietnam. Well, I decided it really wasn't fair, and I began to look around. Maybe I should join one of the branches. Uh, and if I were to serve in this war, I had to decide which branch of service I would join. So I went to the recruiter's offices. I picked up the pretty full-color brochures. I talked to all my friends who were in various branches of the service, now, my brother had been in the Air Force, and as much as I like to follow in my brother's footsteps, they had a couple of problems in my eyes. First of all, their uniforms were, um, I don't know how to say this nicely to you Air Force vets, uh, dorky. Blue just didn't look right. In fact, they looked more like business suits than military uniforms. And then there was the mission. I mean, if you're in the Air Force, aren't you supposed to fly? 
Well, I knew I couldn't be a pilot, aside from the fact that they like their pilots to be college graduates, especially with degrees in engineering and stuff like that. Well, in addition to not being a college graduate, uh, I had terrible eyesight. In fact, it was 2200. So what in the world would you do in the Air Force if you weren't in a plane? But the kicker to the Air Force was four years. If I joined the Air Force, I would have to sign up for four years. Four years to me sounded like a lifetime. So the Air Force was out. So I was back in the hunt. Next on my list to check out was the Navy. I love the documentary Victory at Sea. In fact, I think you can probably go online and see that on YouTube or something. But I'd seen a number of movies about the Navy. I had friends who were in the Navy and they seemed to enjoy the experience. Now, I knew the Navy wouldn't actually be fighting in Vietnam, unless, of course, they were on a riverboat, because Vietnam itself didn't have a Navy to fight the U.S. Navy. So I had to consider, would I actually be fighting for my country if I didn't do any fighting? That didn't sound real good, but I wasn't sure. But those weren't the real issues in my look at the Navy. The problems that I did know about were, I thought, very serious. Now, in the Navy, even with bad eyesight, there was a good chance that I would be assigned to serve on board a ship. That meant I would be floating around on the water, or even worse, under the water if you were assigned to a submarine. And that was a problem. Okay, now let me give you a little personal background. My grandfather had a sailboat. And a couple of times, he took my brother and I out to Catalina Island, which is 26 miles across the sea. When we left the harbor in Southern California and hit the open ocean, I was pretty sure we were going to die because of the bad weather. My grandfather, on the other hand, complained that it was too calm. He, after all, had been raised in Boston and was used to sea sailing. Well, it wasn't any fun for him to sail in such calm weather. Well, I tell you, here's the deal. I got sick, seasick, and I have to let you know I did not like getting seasick, but that wasn't the kicker. Now, don't make fun of me. My main complaint against the Navy was their uniform. They wore bell-bottoms. Okay, I know I'm a child of the 60s and bell-bottoms were in, but I looked weird in bell-bottoms. Now, there was no way I was going to go into a branch of the service that required me to wear bell-bottoms. So, back on the look. The next branch of service I checked out was the Marine Corps. Now, I have to admit I was excited about this one. They had a number of pluses. Okay, the first one, they had the best brochure of any of the branches. Now, I know that sounds weak. Uh, okay, it does sound weak, but they did have beautiful color pictures and great looking brochures. And I would look over those pictures over and over and over again. This was also important. They had the best looking dress uniform anyone could ever want to have and no bell bottoms. And there were lots of war movies that I had watched growing up that highlighted the work of the Marines during World War II. And of course, one of my favorite movies, the D.I. starring Jack Webb, was about training during peacetime, but it fascinated me. And then I had a number of friends who were Marines, and they were sold on it. To them, there wasn't any other branch of service worth belonging to. And, this was important, they had a two-year enlistment program. 
So I decided this was it. I went down to the local recruiting office with a friend, filled out some papers, took written tests, and waited. The recruiter called me, and I went to his office, and he said, I scored too high on the test to be admitted into the two-year program, but I could go into a three-year program where I would receive training and a specialty, and he assured me that this was much better for me. Otherwise, I would just be a rifleman. Well, I tried to explain to him that I was joining because I wanted to be a rifleman. He said I wouldn't be happy doing that, but I would be happy if I signed up for a three-year or a four-year enlistment where I could be taught a great skill. So the Marine Corps was out. That didn't leave me many options, but I had soured on the enlisting route. It would be so much easier if they would just draft me, and I know it meant I would be going into the Army, but that was okay. They didn't wear bell-bottoms either. So I thought about it and decided it wasn't fair to be excused from the draft just because I was going to college and my friends who weren't going to college were eligible for the draft, and I was trying to think what I should do, and that's when the government changed the rules. Politicians recognized that the current draft system of my day was not fair, and most of those politicians liked getting reelected, you know, so they came up with a new approach, and Actually, it wasn't a new approach. It was an old approach that had been used in World War I and World War II, but it was new to the people of my age. The government changed to a lottery system for selecting draftees. They would randomly select birth dates and give you a number based on that selection. You would be drafted based upon that number, and you were eligible to be drafted for one year. If you weren't drafted in that year, then... You were free and clear for the rest of your life. Now, needless to say, the day they held the lottery, December 1st, 1969, a lot of people paid attention. Well, they did their drawing. The experts said they didn't think they would draft more, much beyond the 150 first numbers. Actually, they made it up to 195. Uh, but that was what the experts said. Well, my lottery number, my birth date came up with a lottery number of 202. So it looked like I was in the clear. If the experts were right, I would not be drafted. I could go on about my plans for life and ignore the Vietnam War. Everything seemed to be settled. Except this was the war of my generation. I believed fighting communism was the right thing for both our country and for the people in Vietnam. And so I made a decision. I wrote to my local draft board, and I volunteered my draft. Basically, I said, forget the lottery number. If they wanted to draft me, they could. Well, they wanted to. And I shortly received my letter from the draft board inviting me to join the United States Army. Now, looking back on this time period, there were a couple of important lessons, okay? The first was, don't make important decisions for stupid reasons. Selecting a branch of service based upon what I thought of the uniforms was really stupid. That's not a good reason for an important decision like that. 
And besides, even if I'd gone into the Navy, maybe I would have learned to like bell-bottoms. But kidding aside, so often when we have important decisions to make, we do make them on really terrible reasons. So think back and decide when you make an important decision if the reasons you're giving yourself or others is really worthwhile. Okay, lesson number two. This is probably the most important lesson that I should have learned that I didn't. When you ask God for wisdom about a decision, listen to what he says. Now, I gave you the quote from James, if you lack wisdom, you should pray to God who will give it to you because God gives generously and graciously to all. Well, I had prayed and I had asked for God's direction concerning the draft. And during that time, I had the opportunity to join the National Guard, but I turned it down. During that time, I also had the opportunity to participate in the lottery, and my number was too high to be drafted. Now, either one of those options would have been very reasonable uh, answers. I could have thought that, you know, maybe since I was asking God for wisdom, he had given me two options to say, uh, don't go in. But neither one of those, the National Guard or the lottery, were the answers that I wanted. And so I went my own way. And that really is an important decision. When you ask God for wisdom, for direction, and he gives it to you, do what he says. Don't go your own way. Now, I thought I was ready for what the military would be like. Well, I was wrong on that score. Has anyone ever asked you if they could borrow your pee? No, I'm serious. Well, I hadn't ever been asked that before. In fact, it never happened until my first day in the United States Army. And I'll tell you about that in the next episode. <laughs>